Praise God for such wonderful church music, doctrinal, singable, glorifying to God and edifying to the soul. That's what church music ought to be, and that's what those songs were, both new and old, uh, as we've had the privilege and pleasure this morning of, of singing the doctrines of grace. Now we get to preach and hear the doctrines of grace from God's Word. The questions before us this morning, if you've been singing and if you've been paying attention, have really already been answered, but let's set them before us as we begin this morning. Will we remain Christians until we die? That's the question before us. Will we, who are saved, continue to be saved until our dying day? Or do we even have to? Is that a requirement? Is that a necessity? Can a person profess faith in Christ and then fall away completely, reject Christ, adopt some other religion, but because they profess faith in Christ, at one point they'll be okay? You know, once saved, always saved? Is that the meaning of that phrase? Can a true Christian even stop believing? Is it even possible for a born-again person to fall away, to stop believing? In other words, simply, can salvation and eternal life be lost? Those are the questions that we seek to answer this morning in our finale, part five of our Doctrines of Grace series. What I call the believer's perseverance in the faith. The believer's perseverance in the faith. This doctrine speaks to all of these questions, and it comes appropriately at the end of the five doctrines of grace. A quick review, if you haven't been with us. Number one was complete corruption. Man's complete corruption, or otherwise known as total depravity. In other words, all of our being is affected by the fall of sin. All of our being has been tainted and corrupted by our connection to Adam and his sin. From there, we went to God's gracious choice or unconditional election, where God unconditionally chooses some and passes over the rest. The third was Christ's definite or particular redemption of the elect. And number four was God's powerful and effective call by the Holy Spirit to faith in Christ. And now, finally, the believer's perseverance in that faith. This doctrine actually has two sides to it, the doctrine of the perseverance of believers. And so the sermon today is going to have two parts, for it needs to address the two kinds of believers who are here this morning. Some of you are here this morning and you need comfort, you need reassurance, you need a spiritual hug. (laughs) You need to hear this morning that God will keep you. You need to hear that Christ will hold you fast. You need to hear that your persevering in the faith is ultimately determined and dependent upon God Himself, not you. That you are in His hands and He will never let you go. You need that comfort and reassurance and reminder. But others of you need a challenge. Others of you need a conviction. Others of you need a pride. If the first group needs a spiritual hug, the second group needs a kick in the pants. You need to be shaken out of your complacency. You need to be 
prod along by the shepherd of the sheep through his word. To get on your feet and press on in the faith. And lay hold for that which Christ Jesus laid hold of you. These are not the days to be lazy, to be complacent, to be content, to be mediocre. You remember the old records, the old LPs? I think they're making a comeback a little bit, aren't they? I read something a while back that they're actually coming back. Well, this sermon today is like an old record. It's a two-sided album. Side one is the spiritual hug. Side two is the kick in the pants. Let's begin with side one, and here's the basic truth of side one. All true Christians are kept by the power of God through faith unto eternal glory. All true Christians are kept by the power of God unto eternal glory. Our proof text number one is 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. As we go again and again to this great epistle of 1 Peter... Look at chapter 1 and verse 5. Speaking to believers now, scattered abroad in Asia Minor in the first century, Peter says they are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's not talking about initial salvation here or justification. He's not talking about sanctification, the process from, from becoming a Christian to entering glory. He is talking about a full and final salvation that is, in fact, ready to be revealed at the return of Christ, at the end of the age. And he's saying that God here is going to protect or keep believers for that full and final salvation that awaits them. This simple verse here, 1 Peter 1.5, gives us both the basis of our eternal security and the means. It gives us both the promise and the instrument that God uses to keep that promise. We are kept by the power of God, not our power, not our strength, not our endurance. The power of infinite, eternal, omnipotent God keeps believers until that final salvation. That is the basis of our hope this morning, right? That is the foundation upon which we stand. This is where we live. We do not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, the name of power, the name of God's ability to keep that which He has saved. But God, in His infinite wisdom, uses an instrument to carry out His will here of keeping, and that instrument is faith. We are protected by the power of God, but through faith. Sounds a lot like Ephesians 2, 8, 9, doesn't it? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. So here we can trans. Uh, substitute power for grace and we have essentially the same thought God uses our faith then to keep us in the faith God uses our faith to keep us in the faith so we must ask the question what is faith the world has got it completely wrong 
In the world's view of faith, it's kind of faith in faith, or it's faith in yourself. And that is absurd, and that is ridiculous, and it actually undermines the very meaning of the word faith. Faith means dependence. Faith is not a virtue. Faith is nothing you can brag about. Faith is nothing you can congratulate yourself about. Faith means I am weak. Faith is an admission I can't, God can. Faith is nothing of man's ability. It's all dependence. It's all trust. It's all leaning on someone or something else. We are kept by the power of God, not through effort, not through ability, not through toughness, not through grit, not through determination, but through what? Faith. And faith is dependence upon God. Beloved, faith gives up. Faith surrenders. Faith cries, help! (laughs) That's what faith does. And that's the instrument that God uses to protect us or keep us. Excuse me. This word protected here in the New American Standard, verse 5, can be translated guarded or kept. It's actually a military term. It's, a, it's the idea of a, of a garrison, of a fort, of a place where you go for safety and you're kept there and protected there from harm. You see, once inside this garrison, the enemy cannot get to you again like he had you before. He, he cannot penetrate the walls of God's power and you can't get out either this is a good kind of prison this is a place where you come in and there is no going out again because you are kept by the power of God through faith I know you've seen the video clips you've read about it the our our military have been over in the Middle East for a number of years now in, in gruesome battles, fierce battles, terrifying battles, and they have these uh, various uh, armored vehicles, don't they? Humvees and other even bigger and stronger armored vehicles that often will come to their rescue in a firefight. And that armored vehicle is really an illustration for us of the power of God. It is an armored vehicle for our soul. Faith has us safe inside the armored vehicle. And that door is not going to open until we arrive to a place of safety. Until we are home, out of harm's reach, and out of harm's way, then the door opens and we are able to live by sight. Think of it this way. The power of God is like Noah's ark. Faith walks on board. God closes the door. We're inside. We're secure. Or we could think of it in these terms. The grace that enabled faith is the grace that will preserve faith. The grace that enabled faith is the same grace that will sustain faith. Now come and reason with me together. If we are kept by God's power and the instrument God uses is our faith, then God's power must sustain our faith. If we are kept by God's power and the instrument God uses is our faith, then God's power must sustain our faith. Or to say it another way, if faith is the means to keep us and God promises to keep us, then He must make sure that this faith never dies. Does that make sense? It's still our faith. It's still personal, it's intimate, it's from your heart. 
And yet, if God is putting himself on the line here in his reputation of will a believer remain a believer all of their life and enter eternal glory, if we're protected by the power of God, then he must in some mysterious way sustain the very instrument that he has ordained to get us there. So all true Christians are kept by the power of God through faith unto eternal glory. Proof text number 2, 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5 and verses 10 and 11. I know we've been here before, but now we see it in the light of the perseverance of the saints. And this is such a, a beautiful uh, two verses. Consider what you're going through right now, friend, beloved. Consider what pressures and difficulties are in your life. External and internal. The world, the flesh, the devil. Consider the trials and the tribulations and the persecutions and the weakness of your flesh and the weakness of your faith. And, and look at these two verses. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be Dominion forever and ever. Amen. The sovereign God of all grace, who effectively and powerfully and irresistibly called us to His eternal glory in Christ, will perfect us and confirm us and strengthen us and keep us till the end, because He has dominion to do so. Only a sovereign God can make such a promise and a claim. Only a God who can orchestrate every event of our lives could make such a promise. Only a God who knows the future perfectly can make such a promise. Only a God who can look down the corridors of time and say, I will intersect into this person's life exactly what they need to persevere in the faith. Be that a brother or sister in Christ. Be that a church. Be that a worship service or a sermon or a day in the Word of God or a time on your knees or a song that comes over the radio or a letter that comes in the mail. God has infinite resources and means to speak into your life and to intersect into your life His persevering grace. Because he has dominion. If we didn't have a God who has dominion over the universe, we would not have eternal security. We would not have perseverance in the saints. We must have a God who ultimately is in control of all things. Who sits on the throne of the universe. Who watches or his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. He is the God of all dominion. And based on that, this same, very same God called you and me, who are believers this morning, He has called us, look at it, to His what? Eternal glory in Christ. He didn't call us to a temporary glory. He didn't call us to a fleeting glory. He didn't call us to a fading glory. He didn't call us to the glory of a World Series trophy or a Super Bowl trophy or a Grammy or he didn't call us to the glory of a million dollars or a great career or a marriage or babies or some ecstatic experience of this life. Those are all fleeting and fading glory, some faster than others, but they all eventually come to an end. No, He has called us to an eternal, everlasting, bright shining glory in Christ. He has called us to Christ and in Christ there is glory and joy and happiness and bliss that is eternal and infinite. And that's what we've been called to. 
We've been, we have not been given the gift of temporary life. We've been given the gift of eternal life. And God's gifts and callings are irrevocable, Romans 11. Beloved, you have been called and fitted then for eternal glory. And one day you'll have a new body that can endure such blinding, brilliant glory. One day you and I will have eyes and, 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 and a body, a glorified body that can actually stand in the presence of God and not perish. To, to be able to look upon Him. The one that holy angels even now cover their eyes. One day we will look upon Him and stand glorified in His presence. You ever ask yourself, will I make it? You know, some days if we're honest, we wonder, don't we? Some days if, we, if we're honest about ourselves and we look at our own weaknesses, and we look at our own propensities, and we, and we look at our own besetting sins, and we just wonder, we wonder, am I going to make it to the finish line? The good news this morning, the spiritual hug this morning is we persevere because God perseveres in us. Period. God perseveres in us, or, or, or we keep on keeping on because He keeps us. He keeps us. The call that started it will be the call that ends it. We are called to His eternal glory in Christ. Side number one. It's a beautiful side, isn't it? Oh, this is beautiful music. All true Christians are kept by the power of God through faith unto eternal glory. Let this comfort your soul. Let it wash over your mind and heart this morning. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who is greater than all has given them to me and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He says, we are of one mind on this. We are united on this. We're in the hand of Christ, in the hand of the Father, and it's secure, it's tight. No one can get us away. Paul says in Romans 8 that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ Jesus who died. It is Christ Jesus who died. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says in Philippians 1, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. May this comfort your heart this morning. In your own strength you will not make it, but in God's strength you will make it. He will not let you go. He will hold you fast. Come what may. Now let's turn the album over and listen to side two. The spiritual pride. The biblical challenge. Here's the truth of side two. Only those who persevere in the faith are true Christians. Only those who persevere in the faith are true Christians. We move from you will persevere in the faith to you what? Must. You must. You can't quit and go to heaven. That's side two. 
You see, some want eternal security without perseverance in the faith. Some want heavenly security without earthly endurance. Some want assurance of salvation without the fruit of salvation. Beloved, those are doctrines of demons. Those are doctrines of false teaching where people say, peace, peace, where there is no peace. That is a false hope of a false gospel that actually withers and dies under the burning lamp of Scripture. Just as clearly as God's Word teaches that every true Christian will persevere in the faith because God keeps them, God's Word just as equally powerfully and equally clearly teaches that we must endure to the end. We cannot walk away from Christ and still hope to enter heaven. We cannot reject faith in Christ and still hope to see Christ. We cannot reject belief that there is a heaven and a hell and then spend eternity with God in that heaven. We cannot quit. It's not an option. It is not an option for those who seek to have the experience of eternal life. You say, well, does 1 Peter talk about this side of perseverance? Does this letter have verses that indicate that we must do certain things and persevere in certain things? Oh, does it ever. Listen carefully. Depending on how you count them, 1 Peter has between 35 and 45 commands, exhortations to believers of things we must do and must not do. I have, I have boiled them down to a list of 40 bullet points. <laughs> and they go fast, and I want to read them to you, and I just want you to sit and listen, all right? I want you to just listen. I'm just going to give you the command itself. And it's going to paint a picture for us of what, listen carefully, what perseverance in the faith looks like. This is a description, a composite portrait of what a persevering Christian is and does. This is your challenge. This is your pride. Fix your hope completely on the coming of Christ. Do not be conformed to former lusts, but be holy. Live in the fear of God. Love one another. Long for the pure milk of the word. Abstain from lust. Keep your behavior excellent among unbelievers. Submit yourselves to government. Act as free men, but don't abuse your freedom in Christ. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Husbands, show your wives honor. Be harmonious. Be sympathetic. Be brotherly. Be kind-hearted. Be humble. Do not fear man. Do not be troubled by persecution, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Keep a good conscience. Be ready to suffer. Be of sound judgment. Be of sober spirit. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Be hospitable. Use your spiritual gift. Do not be surprised by suffering, but keep on rejoicing. And trust your souls to God. Elders, shepherd the flock. Younger men, be subject to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility. All of you, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Be sober. Be on the alert. Resist the devil. Stand firm in the true grace of God. 
greet one another. That's it. There's the Christian life lived out. That's the perseverance of the saints. From fixing our hope on the return of Christ to greeting one another when we come to church. That's A to Z. First Peter has it all, folks. That is how we persevere in the faith, and you must persevere in the faith. And if somebody says, says who? Then I say, says Jesus. Matthew 10, You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Says who? Says Jesus. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. John 8, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Whoa. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. I don't know about you, but I want to truly be a disciple. Don't you? I mean, that sounds like the kind to go to heaven. <laughs> that, kind, that sounds like the kind that has an internal fire that never goes out. Jesus says... If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. That is the test. That is the litmus test. Baptist pastor Mark Dever, who believes in perseverance of the saints and eternal security as much as anybody in this room, when someone comes up to them and says of another person perhaps that this person has become a Christian, he says, we'll see. Now, that's not to withhold assurance because the Bible gives us that. If, if uh, we, we pass certain tests, like we find in 1 John, or we find in the book of James, or we find in the Sermon on the Mount. But what he is saying by that is this, if you continue in the faith. Says who? Says Paul. Colossians 1.23, you must continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Turn with me to Hebrews as we continue the says who of this doctrine. The whole book of Hebrews is about this. As you have these Jewish converts, these Jewish believers who were tempted to go back to Judaism. They were tempted to walk away from Jesus of Nazareth as their Messiah. And so this whole letter is written to preserve and persevere them in the faith. This is the means God uses. He uses His Word to get us out of neutral and to keep moving forward. So Hebrews 3, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over His house whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. And verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. See, the writer to Hebrews would not give these professing Christians Assurance of salvation if they weren't holding fast to Christ. They have no right at that point to have assurance of salvation if they're not believing in Christ. Or Hebrews chapter 10. And we're not even going to go to the hard passages of Hebrews this morning. 
You know, the Hebrew 6 passage. There's so much in this letter, this book, about this issue. But look at chapter 10 and verse 36. Well, let's start in verse 35 and go to the end of the chapter. Chapter 10 and verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance or perseverance or bearing up under. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, if he turns away, if he apostatizes, if he rejects Christ, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back to what? Destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. To the preserving of the soul. And then this verse in Jude, Jude wrote this. This kind of, at times, this, this verse just blows up my theology. I just, I am bugged by verses like this in Jude. They actually, they irritate me. (laughs) Here's what it says. This is verse 21 of Jude. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Take that. (laughs) Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's a command to believers waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. That's verse 21 of Jude. And yet, there's always side one. It's one album. And yet, the wind beneath our wings is always God's power and grace. Because look two verses later. Just two verses later, after telling us to keep ourselves in the love of God, which sounds impossible to me. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. The same verb. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now to Him who is able to keep you. This is the final word, beloved. This is always the final. God always gets the last word in every doctrine. All true Christians persevere in the faith because they're kept by God, and only those who persevere in the faith are true Christians. Comfort, challenge. And now we have come to the close of this series. A series that I will say I've had more feedback than probably anything I have done Since I've been at this church. More encouragement. More questions. More discussions. More emails. More phone calls. More visits. Praise be to God. 
It's been wonderful. Bless you. And when I say bless you, I actually just mean the women of Kerrville Bible Church. And I'm not kidding because it hasn't come from one single man. There has been this amazing trend since five weeks ago, starting Monday of five weeks ago, of feedback and encouragement, and it is every single one has been a sister in Christ. I'm not, I'm not casting any guilt to blast. I just find that interesting. I, I really, I mean, I'm, I'm not. I mean, I know people have thoughts and they don't share them. I, I'm, not, I'm not upset. I just found that very interesting, and I want to commend the sisters in the Lord for your love for the Word of God. But we have come to the end of this series. And I thought it would be a good time and a good place for me to give my testimony briefly in light of these things. Here, here is my statement of faith. Here is what I believe. I believe that Adam and Eve had a free will to either choose the good and right or to disobey God and sin. I believe Adam is my representative and so I was in him and I had free will in Adam. I had my chance. When he sinned, I sinned. When he fell, I fell. I was then born in sin with a sinful nature. I sinned because my nature was sinful. The tree was bad. The heart was black. I was a slave to sin. Everything I did was tainted by sin. I came into this world completely corrupt, and in time this began to manifest itself in manifold and multiplied ways. I was a thief, a glutton, a drunkard, an idolater, a lustful, prideful, uber-competitive mess. I loved my sin, I lived for my sin, and it was all my fault. I was actually annoyed by God and wanted Him to leave me alone so I could do what I wanted to do without guilt. And yet God in His infinite grace and mercy set His love upon me before the creation of the world, before my existence, before my sin, and despite my sin. God chose me of His own free will, electing me unto salvation because of His unconditional love for me in Christ Jesus my Lord. He loved me because He loved me. That's the only explanation I have. In time God sent His Son... To pay the penalty for my sin, Jesus the Messiah went to the cross with me on his mind. He loved me and he gave himself up for me. I was crucified with Christ. The good shepherd laid down his life for this sheep. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. He was my vicarious substitutionary atonement. The Lamb of God sacrificed for the sins of Jews and Gentiles alike, including this nobody Gentile. At Calvary, he purchased men for God, and grace upon grace, I was included. Fast forward 2,000 plus years. It was Halloween, 1985. I was a 20-year-old intoxicated idiot, and the Holy Spirit began the work of convicting me of my sin. Three and a half months later, three and a half months later, on February 15, 1986, after hearing the gospel message at a weekend retreat of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, where I was neither an athlete nor a Christian, <laughs> I was drawn, I was pierced to the heart, I knew there was a hell and I deserved to go there, and I was called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Jesus stood at the tomb of my life and said, Chris, come forth, and I came. Bound in my grave clothes, I came. Just as I am, I came. 
I was born again, not because I repented and believed, but so I could repent and believe. I was born again because God called me to himself and into fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. God took out the heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh. In a mysterious instant, I went from unbelief to belief, from indifference to indwelt. New desires came into my life like a hunger for the word of God, worship of God, love for God's people, and a desire to serve him. My blessed mother who's sitting back here was dragging me to church before all of this for one hour a week. And I went from that to going three times a week on my own (laughs) and being baptized by immersion five months later to publicly testify to these truths. In the day of his gracious power, the Lord granted me repentance and faith and opened my heart to respond to the things being spoken to me about my sin and about Christ and about eternity. He didn't repent for me. He didn't believe for me. He enabled and empowered and made me willing to do both from the heart. And on a cold night in the middle of February, in the middle of Middle Tennessee, in the middle of a lobby of Henry Horton State Park, and I still don't know who Henry Horton is, (laughs) God began a good work in me. Me of all people, not mighty, not of noble birth, not wise, not rich, and not strong, and not popular. But God had chosen the weak things of this world and the base and the things that were not to shame the things that are. My uber pride was crushed and it's still being crushed 29 years later. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I believe that I will always believe. I am convinced that nothing will ever separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that even at my lowest, darkest, weakest moment, even with my dying breath on my dying day, I will still believe until faith is made sight. I will always persevere in the faith because this is what true believers do. I can't not believe. Christ holds me fast. I can't let go if I wanted to. The truth of the gospel pursued me, caught me, owns me, and will not let me go. Ever. Beloved, this is a tandem parachute ride. I am tied to Christ. I also know with all my heart that I must persevere in the faith. I've been drafted, now I must fight. Soldiers of Christ, arise. I must keep on believing and keep on repenting, and I must never, ever, ever stop. I know that I'm responsible before God to do this, and that I do this in His grace and by His power, not my own. It is well with my soul, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Pray with me. Father God of heaven above, do your gracious, holy, sovereign, unstoppable work in our midst. Call that which is lost. Regenerate that which is dead. Open the eyes of the blind. Dig out the earwax of the deaf. Exalt your Son in our midst this morning as we come to our closing song. May we sing from the heart. May we sing with glad joy if we're believers. And may we sing with saving faith for the first time ever. If we're still on the outside looking in. 
Thank you, God, for the work of grace in my life and the lives of my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for pursuing and catching and keeping. We give you all the glory and all the praise. Amen.